Alright, what's on what's on the agenda? I mean the agenda today is to talk about it's to do the hundred day review. Um why have we already started recording now? Welcome, guys, to this uh, week's episode of The Village ZM. Um, we have Sui and Lusungu here. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll let them tell you what we're going to talk about today. Lusungu, what are we talking about today? Oh, today is a hot one, man. We're talking about something that is super important to each and every one of us. Um, yeah, that's what we're talking about, something important, so we can finish it up from there. Yeah, like Lusungu said, uh, to reiterate the point, we're talking about something super important. Um, <laughs> oh man! No, okay, no. On 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 a serious note, I was just uh, I was just clowning around for a bit. On a serious note, uh, I think we're gonna start with a sort of hundred day review of the UPND government. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a hundred days and a bit so far. So we just want to review the good, the bad, and the ugly over the last few months, and just just talk about it a little bit. We're we're probably not gonna have enough time to go in great depth on every single issue, but we hope that during this episode we can highlight some of the key takeaways um, so far in, in during the time that we've had the UP and the administration in uh in government. Yeah. So I think we're gonna do it like this. I mean this is just a suggestion, but um yeah I hope everyone's down. So we are all gonna go around and talk about one thing that is good that has happened. So we're gonna do that a few times until we've exhausted a few options. Then we will go into the Bad and concerning, because for me, I think the bad and the concerning are more or less intertwined, in my opinion. But let's see how it goes. Does that sound good to you guys? Yep, yep, that sounds good to me. Okay, so you want to go first? Uh, all right, but a uh, good thing, I guess, is that we don't have uh, cartas in the bus stations and. I mean, yeah, we're, we're talking about the good, but sometimes the good and the concerning are somewhat intertwined. But I guess the good is the, the oh, we've seemed to move, we seem to have moved on from overt Carterism, and I think that's a that's a good thing. That's a plus. Yeah, I can imagine, like, um, you know, these people who are really working tirelessly day and night to barely make anything but try to feed their families under, you know, really tough circumstances, only for someone to more or less collect money that they did not work for um, just because they were, you know, they were, they were, you know, 
they were, they they, are, they belong to a party that is in government. You know, I think it was very concerning. And I think one interesting thing was, I think the day, was it the day after the swearing in of the uh, cabinet ministers, it was interesting to see the minister of local government um, go to some of these public places. I'm not sure if it was a bus station or a market, but I just remember him going to a place where they actually used to torture people who are opposition members. And some people were actually detained in that area and they were released that same day. So obviously, like, that's something that, you know, is something that we, we can appreciate, I guess. Definitely is, man. Definitely is. You know, we are all citizens of this great nation of ours, man. So just being able to have that freedom, you know, to move around freely, as you've mentioned, you know, is definitely something that, that is a plus in anybody's book. Just having that freedom and just being able to express yourself however you want and without, um, yeah, without all that that comes with it. Um, I guess with that being said, we can actually go to the point of freedom of assembly. Um, you know, like, even just, you know, I heard someone once saying that it was even scary wearing a Manchester United jersey and um, trying to walk freely in public places in that Manchester United jersey because of the color red and the fact that it symbolizes it's the it's the it's the party color for another political party that was in opposition but is now in government and just how dangerous it was to wear red um another incident i remember happening was this woman in chalala who was a UPND supporter her you know her shack was completely destroyed and on top of her, you know, and on top of her contemba being destroyed, she was uh, beaten up. And this is, you know, it's it's it get it, it, it it's even worse when a certain level of gender-based violence is actually going on on top of the fact that there is turmoil and cadarism, right? Yeah, yeah, that definitely is. Definitely, man. That's truly something that nobody really should go through, man. Really unfortunate that somebody who's just trying to make a living had to go through all that. Yeah, and I guess, I guess we should also like acknowledge the fact that as individual citizens, it is a right to to associate yourself with the party. Like you, you have the choice to associate yourself with a party, to support the decisions of a party, to think that a candidate is the best candidate for your constituency or for your uh, local council, um, and whatever it is, it you know it's 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 right, it's it's allowed, you know. At the end of the day, like this this freedom of deciding who whose vision you want to follow should not be um suppressed i think suppressed is the is the word so yeah um i mean it, we could say the same for freedom of expression as well 
Um, obviously, I think it's one at the same point, actually, because even for freedom of expression, you know, people are talking on social media in a more free way. I think towards the end of like the political campaigning period before elections, we kind of got fed up and we just had faith that there was going to be change. So we were a bit more free. But other than that, it was a really difficult situation and people were scared of, you know, getting in trouble for the smallest thing. People are getting um, fired for making statements about what they felt about the current political situation, etc. So, so obviously, like that's that's a big thing, you know. The fact that Unza can protest now and no one will close them because they protested, and you know, these these small things, like they're the things that cause tension more or less, you know. And you know, like to see the minister of education actually walking with the students during the protest was significant in my opinion. So, yeah. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting, um, interesting landscape that we have now. It's, it's definitely going to be, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how things play out. Um, as you know, as the UPND government continues to uh, enact policy and um, and push its uh, political agenda, so it's going to be interesting to see how things play out for sure. I don't know, man. You know, everything that I I have in mind, I keep on seeing it like with um with a double lens. You know, I'm seeing the good in it, and I'm seeing the bad in it. So I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. That's a problem, man. But that's that's, that's a problem. That's where I'm at right now. Okay. So at least will you be able to like keep in mind the the points we have that are like when we yeah. mention a good point, will you be able to keep in mind the the bad so that when we come to the bad, you you can bring it up? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Anyway, one thing that. That I guess we can talk about now is about economic reform. You know, um, coming from like where you're coming from, uh, where we started off talking about um, independence of certain places, like uh, what's what I'm looking for, uh, markets and bus stations. That I hear has improved revenue coming in from that places, um, which of course I believe will help put like our economy in a better place because we've got more revenue or tax that was not going into the government coffers, which is now going in. And um, when you look at the general outlook of some of the decisions that have been made, you can see there's progress in it, or there's somebody who's looking at the bigger picture. So I think one thing for me that is comforting is the economic reform. I 100% agree with you when it comes to economic reform. And like for me, there's, there's so many layers to which I see this. Um, the first thing is, I think one thing that I really do appreciate is the effort that is being put into re reconstructing the procurement process and just, um, making sure that, you know, certain financial leakages that are a bit more evident, uh, you know, taken care of, you know, I remember, was it just last week, um, they had a seminar, a workshop for permanent secretaries. And they were just talking about 
um, different things that were in the Auditor General's report. And um, a lot of things that were signed off without the Auditor General's permission. You know, a lot of questionable things were happening. I think one of the most questionable things I remember hearing was um, houses which all which were all supposed to look the same and all, all be like two-bedroom houses um, being being built at 1.5 million kwacha when they were supposed to be getting built at um, at 200,000 kwacha, you know. And I remember the Minister of Infrastructure and Housing actually talking about the fact that, you know, people don't build, people are not procuring things as if they were procuring for themselves, you know. And that's why you had all these inflated prices and whatnot. It did not make any sense in most cases. You know, so um, yeah, I see they're trying to get things at the at a very good price and value for that product. So I think I I really appreciate that reform when it comes to economic reform. I also um, do appreciate the fact that. Um, even when it comes to trips, um, they have secured a certain level of funding. I remember when they went for the UN General Assembly, they did manage to secure a significant amount of funding just by more or less talking to the House of Representatives and you know key decision makers about more or less their economic agenda. So I guess that definitely happens. And I, I think a few days later, they even give them more money. So. I think that's that's another thing for me. Um, so, yeah, and then obviously there's the budget and the IMF staff level agreement. But I'll you know I'll let you guys talk more about that. <laughs> I see. I see. You've decided that it's time to move to the bad, the ugly, and the concerning already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because, because, like, for this, this is like more or less middle, like, um, you know, with the budget and with the IMF staff level agreement, it's, you know, it's like there's the good, then there's the question mark, and then there's the bad, and then there's the concerning. So <laughs> I, would put, I would put the budget and the staff level agreement on the question mark. Okay, but actually, one one more thing we can talk about in the good is the the response to COVID nineteen in the last few weeks. Um, you know, obviously, I think I think there's also a bad to this, but that's more or less about how you know it was handled in the past, even by the people who are in government now. And how their response was more or less tone deaf towards it, but I am glad that they have had a change of color. You know, you know, like I'm glad that they, they, you know, politicians. You just know politicians. Like I'm, I'm glad that I can't say that I'm glad that they, they are standing up for what's right. They've just decided. They've just realized that they have to be on the side of the people of what's best for the people, but this is a decision they could have made a long time ago. 
But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, this is where we are now. And, you know, there's been a vaccine relaunch. We've seen an, an increase in the number of the vaccinated population from 3% to 8% in two months. And, you know, they're trying to do mass vaccination programs. They are giving experts more time to speak on issues rather than just politicking about the the pandemic, which I really appreciate. Um, I guess, you know, experts being more involved in the process is, you know, is, is another thing that I, I, I see happening, not just in Ministry of Health, but even in Ministry of Finance, IMF press briefing the other day, and um, just, yeah, you know, it's, it's really refreshing to see a bit more of of that, as well as just seeing more of communication between politicians and um, and the people. I guess you know the press briefings. You know, it, I mean, a lot of things that have happened lately have been really awful, and you know, there's so much that we are going to talk about that has happened. But I guess we can appreciate the the, the you know the 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 fact that we're actually being talked to like human beings, you know, and, you know, we're being given opportunities to ask questions and, you know, obviously like, you know, with politicians, some, some questions won't be satisfied with the answer, but at least they're trying to pretend like they listen to our questions, you know? So, yeah. Okay. Now we can get into the concerning. You want to kick us off, Sui? <laughs> Uh, well, there's a few things. There's a few things. IMF, the IMF deal. Uh, I still have a few question marks on that. Um, so far, I guess, as of today, which is December the 8th, we reached the staff level agreement. However, the terms of this deal aren't um, revealed to us in in detail just yet. It's just, oh, we've reached the staff level agreement. Now it's going to be approved and all that. And and I mean, we know the IMF. It's it's always it's always conditions. There's always going to be conditions. So I'm I'm curious to find out what exactly these conditions are, because historically, IMF programs always come with strings attached. So the question is, how much string is attached? Uh, we can only hope that it's enough for us to build a bridge, but not enough that we end up hanging ourselves because our, our economy is in a precarious situation as it is. And, you know, we've had the UPND government reverse um, a lot of positions that they took before forming government. Like, oh, we're going to reduce the cost of living. Well, we're going to make sure that, you know, fuel prices become more affordable and they've done the opposite. Uh, you know, electricity tariffs are going up they ha because they removed the subsidy on that. Um, same thing with fuel prices. And all these things have a very significant impact on the cost of living and the cost of doing business. So it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what, what this deal does um, to our economy in the next few years. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. Like, you know, I think that's the one thing that people are very disappointed with. Um, and and I hope they they do acknowledge that they have walked back on their promise. And I guess the best thing they can do is more or less apologize to the people because at the end of the day, the truth is that they saw things the way they thought things were on the outside. And then they go and they realize that they overpromised the people especially on certain things like the cost of living, et cetera. Um, and, you know, we, we, it's, it's very sad because we, we, see this, we see this happen all the time. I remember we had a, a Twitter space with Dr. Brian Mushimba during elections. And, you know, I remember he was talking about how, you know, it's hard for ministers to, to deliver on certain um, certain issues because at the end of the day, there's very little that ministers actually get to do when it comes to making sure that things are procured at the right price and all that stuff. But then the question I had for him is, why is it that when you guys go and campaign for three months, you tell us that you're going to do these things? And, the, and, and you know, I liked his answer because he was like, yeah, it's true. The truth is that we do say these things and it's not true because we don't end up delivering on these things. So I think in general, it's, it's something that we really need to work on because at the end of the day, like I'd rather people are honest with us about what they are able to do for us and what they're not able to do for us, rather than us going, getting caught up in all the euphoria and whatever it is, because what I see had happened is that people were too excited and their expectations were on the roof. And it wasn't even their fault that their expectations were like that. But because people made them feel like their expectations should be like that. And that's why they were like that. And, you know, as for the, um, as for the agreement itself, um, you know, I, you know, like I actually even tweeted about this earlier. I am not the type of person who, um, I don't, I don't like hundred percent believe politicians at all about anything, but you know, one thing that they mentioned in the press briefing, I hope it's true, but even just the IMF, the Mrs. Holland from the IMF, the representative was talking about how they, they were talking about more or less moving resources from, you know, areas that more or less just benefit a certain class of people and more or less trying to help the rest of the people in other areas who've never actually had access to anything. So, I mean, personally, like, and that's obviously the, the rural areas, you know, and I think, you know, it's key to develop these rural areas. And sometimes, you know, you have to make the toughest decisions to ensure that no one remains behind. So if they're saying, if what they're saying is true on this, then, you know, I guess, you know, I hope it's true, you know, but for now it's really, like you said, it's really tough to see, you know, what's going to happen with that, especially because like, even with the staff level agreement, um, it does mean that, um, how can I explain this? It does mean that, you know, now, you know, after they've, you know, I think the, the one thing that they're remaining with before board approval is the fact that they want to see if Zambia's 
Zambia can actually re- try to re- re- like get assurance from their debtors that they will be given credit relief. And I think, you know, it would be nice that after that, then before it goes for board approval, the conditions are known. Because there's no way that the board, it, it's very dangerous for the board to approve. And we don't even know what the board has approved because it's like the Zambian government has already put themselves out there and they've already said, okay, you know what, whatever conditions you give us, you know. You know, I think it's also, it would also be interesting to see whether the Zambian government have a chance to back out if they don't really agree with the conditions that the IMF will give them during board approval. You know, I don't know what the last step would be. I don't know if the, the board approval is the last step or what, because I don't know what this agreement is. Is this agreement that everything, no matter what the board says, they're just going to agree? Or is it that they've already agreed on the conditions and they are only going to reveal them after the board approval happens? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I find it hard to believe that no one knows what the conditions are. I think the conditions are known, and this this probably leads us to the next can of worms that we have to open, which is uh, transparency. <laughs> uh, building off this this IMF deal, I, I, I could be wrong, but my opinion is I don't think that you'd be negotiating something for so long without knowing what the what the conditions are. No, I think I'm pretty sure they know. Yeah, so so the thing is, the question now that you must ask yourself is, why don't we know? Is is it some sort of confidential thing, or is it a way to you know kick this can of worms that we've just opened down the road a little bit? And 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 I guess a natural segue uh, is some of the appointments, some of the political appointments that have been made. Um, obviously, you know, the last few weeks, it's been a month now, probably we, we've known about, you know, the scandal involving, uh, the CV of the special, special assistant to the president. And, you know, it's kind of just, it's just kind of just going quiet. Like (laughs) there's this saying that, um, there's two kinds of problems and the small ones you can't do anything about. and the big ones just go away by themselves, and it, it seems like you know this this might be holding true uh, for us because you know that th- that was a major scandal, and I feel like the fact that it hasn't been comprehensively addressed by the UPND government it, it says a lot about the sort of level of transparency that we are we are getting uh, so far. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree that it would be you know it would make sense if they had released a statement about it because it's been out in the open um for um for so long you know and you know i think i think for me like i just want to know how they are going to handle it because the thing is they his the Jito Karimba's claim is that the people who are writing this false information are the ones who made the mistake and not him. But then we also see that it's a repetitive mistake that has been seen on Wall Street Journal, that has been seen on Airtel, 
And it has also been seen in Zambia breweries. So it's like, first it was just Airtel, and the Bank of Zambia actually wrote to Airtel saying, hey, like this guy, uh, this guy is not on the Bank of Zambia board. Can you change this information? So for me, like, I mean, what I'm suspecting is, I'm not sure, but what I'm assuming is that maybe Jito is claiming that he has nothing to do with this and that's why the Bank of Zambia did not write to him about the condensed information. I, I'm not you know, who, 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 who do you punish in this? Like, do you investigate it further and see how this started? Or do you just say, okay, you know what, this, this is too much of a coincidence, you're fired? Yeah. Well, I, I think that I think that there's something um, something very um, strange going on because, um, I mean, the, what's what's his title? I forget his title. And Anthony Walia came out and said that he he had no idea about this until he heard it from the media, and and that's that's very concerning as well because if you either. If if the state if state house is clueless or pretends to be clueless, both those scenarios are are scary, because ideally you know when someone's getting appointed, even just in in, in the general civil service, let alone you know working in the office of the president at state house, you go through like a comprehensive background check, and you need to get security clearance, and these are things that come up. In 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 those uh, in those checks, and so there's. I find it very hard to believe that you know State House would have had no clue about this quote unquote um, condensed information. So yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I don't I don't want to go too deep in in this rabbit hole because we we still have a few other important things to cover. So yeah, I mean. Anyway, we, we are talking about State House right now. And because of that, I also want to, you know, talk about another thing that I think that's happening at State House. And that's more or less, I feel like um, the UPND government, the, the, the president is trying to run the affairs of the country completely from State House um, indirectly, because you see he's created all these positions at State House. Who like I think just maybe if a few more positions were created, you know, it's it's very possible for for everything to directly be controlled from state house, which more or less um, it it doesn't really it it creates a very it, like it like I read that it, it you know an article that was talking about how that creates a duplicity of um, positions as well as you know it it eats on resources as well and. At the same time, it also just shows the, you know, the, the presidency's um, lack of trust in the civil service or confidence rather in the civil service because, you know, it's like everything is being run from there, you know, at the end of the day. Like, it was interesting to see that there's a press briefing about, um, you know, the, the last, uh, a press briefing we had last week about the, 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 the the status of the pandemic within Zambia, and you know you had all these professionals come out, and some of the journalists were asking about whether the behavior of the virus is being, um, or and and the vaccine is being um you know monitored by 
by by our own people, our own experts. And, you know, you have half the panel who do not, who say they, they there's nothing going on like that. But at the same time, as they get, okay, it's it, it, it was just, it was just very interesting to see that, you know, um, the COVID advisor was talking about certain tests that are being done. But at the same time, a few of the experts on the panel did not know anything about those tests being done. So I was a bit confused because it's like, okay, aren't you guys supposed to be on the same page? And I guess the same thing can be said about the stance on the cutters in the taxis and the, in the, I mean, in the bus stops and the taxi ranks and in the markets when um, obvious Maliteta or the Lusaka provincial chairman of the UPND was talking about how he thought that the cadres were going to restore law and order in these places. And, you know, it went to parliament and parliament more or less supported, you know, like a few members of parliament supported this, you know, sentiment by Mr. Maliteta, including the minister of um, home affairs, who said that he's actually a good chairman for saying that. And you know, <laughs> a, few days, a few days later, a few days later, the president comes out and creates a strong stance against it, and that's how you know the issue dies out. But it just showed that they were not on the same page. And I feel like, you know, I mean, it's only been a few months, but they more or less need to find a way of making sure that they are on the same page on issues because, you know, I mean, obviously this brings us to another problem, which is what's going on in parliament where you have a lot of rookie mistakes. Oh, rookie mistakes are happening across the board, not just parliament, but anyway, carry on. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm, yeah. And that's, that's what I mean. Like, you know, the rookie mistakes, um, uh, you know, across the board, like you said, um, like for example, even just the fact that, um, some of these, uh, senior government officials initially, you know, were appointed without approval from parliament, you know, especially with the creating of ministries, there's laws that talk about that. And then, you know, going back and reversing what happened and having to square them in again, you know, I feel like that's something that should have been clarified. But then if you fire everyone from, if you fire everyone who was there before, how are you supposed to know how the process is? You know? That's true. You know what? Let's, let's go deeper on this appointments thing because I have a lot to say on this. You know? Um, permanent secretary appointments. I, I, I really, you know, I've had debates with people on this so much that I'm so tired of it. What is a permanent secretary? A permanent secretary is a CEO of a ministry. And this CEO of the ministry, more or less, is a professional and is appointed on the basis of being a professional. And that is why even when another government comes, they should solely be fired for the basis of them failing to perform in the professional sector of whatever ministry that they are in charge of, rather than their political affiliation. And that is why appointing someone who is politically affiliated makes it very difficult, because we know these politicians 
Even if someone was delivering, they will remove them. Yeah. So, and we see a lot of these political, you know, we see people who are at the forefront campaigning for, you know, like, you know, you are willing to go to jail for this, for, for that party or for whatever that party believed in. You are willing to, you know, go all over, risk your life in dangerous circumstances with the unstable political climate. So it's very obvious where your loyalty is. And it's not a bad thing to have loyalty. But at the same time, you should know that, you know, that position you serve in, more or less, it it should not take away from the fact that you, you know, this is a this is a government position that is more or less for professionals who are trying to develop their career. You know, I can I can only imagine like people who've been there like twenty plus years serving in ministries, giving their one hundred percent only for someone to just be appointed because he's friends with some he's he's a friend of the political party or he's close with the political party. Yeah. Another thing we must also consider is the role of permanent secretary is a very technical role. So like you have to know your stuff. If you don't know your stuff, you you, you end up being exposed. You, you you look you look really silly because like the minister directs all the policy quest all the technical policy questions through the office of the PS. So like you have to know your stuff. That's one. Secondly, um you have to understand government procedure and how the civil service works. Like the, the, the government and government procedure is a very complex machine. And if you've never been in the civil service, you can't just walk in one day and, and all of a sudden be performing this highly technical role uh, as permanent secretary, because it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. Like, as brilliant as as you know some of the appointments might be on paper if you look at their CVs it's one thing to you know to be to be this educated on paper but there's there's a form of education that comes with actually having experience in the civil service and money can't buy you that only only you have to have been there to have that and so like the new class of permanent secretaries is going to have to like learn really fast because it's going to be tough for them and and they're going to have to lean on the rest of the civil service which is basically where a permanent secretary should be um you know should be promoted from anyway so it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because the permanent secretary play uh, plays a key role in you know pushing government policy through specific ministries. And so if the permanent secretary is underperform, the whole government is going to underperform. And I think it's in the best interest of, of the whole country that uh, permanent secretaries don't underperform. I 100% agree with that. That is a very strong and very important statement that you have made. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, the pressure is on them to deliver um, when it comes to, you know, I think the I think majority of the pressure is on the permanent secretaries than anyone. I mean, we, we you know, we recently saw, you know, the, you know, the permanent secretary, the former permanent secretaries for Ministry of Health being 
questioned by the public accounts committee and you know they were there standing there and they had to justify every penny that was spent you know on uh, certain questionable you know procurement processes that happened and you need to be able to understand why it was important to buy something or you should be able to admit okay here this wasn't this didn't make sense to procure you know and i feel like those are certain things that require a certain level of technical knowledge a certain amount of consultation and you know you you are the professional you should be able to give us a proper educative conversation you should be able to educate the minister on what's going on the minister should come to you and should have a proper understanding at least enough understanding for them to go and give a statement in parliament and answer questions concerning that statement in parliament and when they fail to answer those questions in parliament they'll say i'm going to throw this back to someone who's going to come and and I, i'm going to throw this question to someone and give you an answer when i come back next time you know so that's definitely something that um needs to be you know looked into you know i also feel like um for most of these issues like i know this is a bit off topic but it would be nice if we if we saw more of like you know instead of having like a debate when it's time to campaign why don't we also start having political com- like political debates during this period because i feel like having more dialogue in an open space in front of a lot of people is going to more or less encourage people to have an exchange of ideas and it's going to promote checks and balances because people will see what's wrong and what's right and when it's in public that you are discussing these issues you can't say that you didn't think of something before you did something you know yeah i feel like we need to have more like more open debates on these issues with these same key decision makers being there also you know so yeah and you know sometimes like i actually feel like you know what if we are going to have a special program it would be nice to have a permanent secretary come and talk about issues than to have a minister you know because i feel like to some certain extent like the minister might not be in a position to answer all your questions except a few ministries where they have people who can answer almost every question because they know how things work in and out like ministry of finance where all of them have been working you know with the government for you know decades so yeah interesting lusungu do you have any friends uh, who are permanent secretaries maybe we can talk to them i'm actually um trying to like like as we were talking about as you as as i was hearing you guys speak about that i was um thinking about it i'm trying to figure out like a good way how we can have this conversation with some peers and something and just try to properly understand that side of the political climate yeah, yeah. that's definitely something to to look I, into i do agree um a few more things that i feel like we need to talk about i guess you know equity in representation you know i we 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 always talked about how the leadership should be a representation of the people we've had 
I think maybe four episodes where we've emphasized that maybe even more. And, you know, we do not see that in the appointments that have been made. We've been promised, oh, more women will be employed. Don't worry, your mothers will be employed. Your, your, your children will be employed. You know, there's not a lot of young people. I mean, with the young people, I see he's more or less taking a lot of them to State House to work with him. And fair enough. But when it comes to the women, I, st- I still see there's not enough equity when it comes to that, honestly. And I don't care what they say about qualifications and whatnot. It just will never make sense to me that the first person you think of when you think of the most qualified person for a position is always a man. Yeah, kind of. It's kind of wild. I mean, only one out of ten uh, provincial um, ministers is a woman. And I believe only five out of is it twenty four or twenty eight in in cabinet. Twenty four. So yeah. So the, those are some concerning concerning numbers. Um, Don't concerning forget numbers. um one out of eight appointments. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. The nominated M- MPs as well. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of concerning, but uh, hey. Maybe this will be a top election issue come 2026. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, you know what? There was also this excuse, oh no, we had to pick from out of parliament. I mean, for people not to be able to use that excuse, I guess we need some constitutional reform in the next five years so that we, we, we need to, so that people, you know, we need to make sure people run out of excuses. <laughs> like, people shouldn't be able to you know, cry wolf on, on on an issue that I still believe that there was room to solve on. But hey, if you have an excuse, fair enough. I you mean, know. if you have if you have eight appointments and you recognize that there's a lack of uh, equity, then why don't you use at least a proportion of your eight appointments to yeah. show that you're promoting that? You know, it's, it's, I feel like it's just seven. seven. Yeah, it's just seven women, one man. Uh, yeah, we're. I feel like we're being played. We're being played. Hundred <laughs> percent. The sooner we recognize that uh, that it's all it's all a game, it's, it's when we start playing as well, and 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 you know, trying to ensure that uh, you know this this equity agenda reaches the priority level that it requires. Yeah. And, you know, like for me, like, and, and that's why, like, for me, I just feel like the, this is how we solve it. We solve it by talking now. So I'm sure there are people who are going to listen to our podcast and think this is very negative and whatnot. But one thing they need to realize is that this is how we solve the problem, like, instead of waiting five years by talking and trying as best as possible to listen. You know, I think more or less when it comes to um, government performance, um, yes, quite all right. If it's not working, you have to go to the ballot and vote. But at the end of the day, we also need to realize that while you're waiting for that, every decision that is made, every choice that is being made, every appointment, every procurement decision, every law, every person that is being arrested and every person who is being acquitted, all of that 
more or less affects us or it affects someone next to us. So it does affect someone. And I feel like that's something that we need to realize that we need to start playing our part now. So at the end of the day, I want Zambia to succeed now. I don't want it to succeed in the next five or 10 years. So I'm going to talk on issues. If I see that something doesn't make sense, I'm going to say, hey, this doesn't make sense. You know, and if it makes sense, I'll say this makes sense. But at the same time, I feel like people need to understand the importance of saying that something does not make sense. It doesn't mean we are saying, oh, no, we missed this one or we missed that one or bring back your nip. No, we're not saying that. And I feel like that's an important thing for me to stress because I feel like that's something that has more or less been frustrating me the last few days. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to be strangled by society when it comes to asking questions. It is important to ask questions. I know right now the UPND may still have a certain level of popularity, but at the end of the day, like even with the, even with you people who are supporters of them and lovers of them and whatnot, we need to understand where we want to be as a country and our collective responsibility. And I do not see any benefit that comes from praising each and every move that they make, even when it doesn't make sense. So anyway, enough about that. Boom. Drops mic right there. That's where the episode even ends, just like that. No, <laughs> no, no outro, nothing. <laughs> no, but you, you definitely, uh, you definitely um, hit the nail with the hammer right there. That made uh, a lot of a lot of sense. It's it's important to give credit where it's due, but also criticism where it's needed. And 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 in all this criticism, I think the point is. Uh, that do we come out of it having learned something, having progressed as as a nation? Because at the end of the day, uh, the thing that we want is is to be progressing as a nation, to see ourselves getting closer and closer to uh, reaching our full potential every day. I hundred percent agree. Um. I mean, I guess there was one more thing I wanted to talk about before we close off. And that is um, a lot of what I've noticed in Parliament. Um, Personally, I feel like the young, more, I mean, less experienced politicians who are in Parliament, especially on in 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 the party of government you know the party in government i i feel like they need to more or less speak up more and speak up more on things that are wrong i feel like there's a sense of them not really being able to speak out on issues to call out their peers when something is wrong to more or less debate on things in an objective manner I just feel like at the end of the day, you know, especially, you know, when you go in parliament, I think we spoke about this on the the Twitter space, you go there because your constituency also elected you to represent them. So certain things, when something is not right, you just say it's not right, you know, and I, I don't really care whether that's the culture that has been built in parliament over the last few years. I really don't care. I just care that it's something that needs to be sorted out. Um, 
right now, honestly. Because what I'm seeing is a lot of these experienced politicians on both sides are the ones who are just throwing jabs at each other. And it's, you know, it's good entertainment, fair enough. But at the same time, we don't need entertainment. These are real issues. You know, these people go there to more or less make decisions that affect the rest of our lives. You know, you can't be debating on on, on repealed laws or asking the most crazy questions in parliament that have no relevance whatsoever or or you know or even just the speaker's decision yesterday you know i i still don't understand that decision you know because everyone who i've asked like the only thing that could possibly even just in the judgment could possibly more or less um be the, be the reason the judgment was made was that, first of all, that it was related to the case of the ministers paying back, which I think is totally different. Um, but also but, but also just the fact that the same thing happened where the MPs were dismissed um, last, um, in, in the last uh, uh, assembly of, of parliament the, in the, when, the, when the previous government was there. You know, when Chishimba Kambuli was, you know, was, was um, removed from, from parliament, you know, and, you know, the case has always been the same. The argument has always been the same, but we are seeing the same response to something that we all recognize is wrong, except clearly the people who are key decision makers. So I feel like that's something we really need to... Um, have handled you know i'm not an expert on these things but like just you know from from the outside i can see that there's something that's a problem the moment i heard that these these people whose seats have been nullified by the high court even though they've appealed they are not allowed to enter parliament you know and i remember that you know i was listening to an interview by john sango and he was talking about the fact that um you know, these are people who represent constituencies, and that means that if you do not let them sit in parliament before a decision is made, then you have, you know, if the decision takes a year, it means that it would be a year of an empty seat in parliament, which means a year of one constituency not being represented, and their questions not being answered, and their cries not being heard. You know, so at the end of the day, you know, we, the, the law is very clear that, you know, the final you know the final the final decision on these things if if they are appealed until the end is the constitutional court so people should be able to hold on to their seats in parliament this is not a good look for democracy at the end of the day it, you know especially you know when those position those 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 the the people who whose seats have been nullified are from the minority in the parliament rather than the majority you know, because then it means that, or, or it's, 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 it, you know, already the, the, the people in majority have an advantage, but then you give them a further advantage because now you have a seat that's vacant. You know, fair enough if they win that seat, even though, like, obviously that needs to be worked on because there needs to be a balance and constitutional reform. But in the meantime, let the law prevail. That should be, that's, that's more or less the, the overall, um, my overall opinion on that situation. This is the part where we cue the theme music. I guess so. Dun, 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 
right, I guess before we before we wrap this episode up, um, I, I just want to say it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how things play out. You know, the next the next uh, few months uh, with the UPND government. Uh, it's probably taken them a bit of time to get their feet settled in under the table. But now, you know, now the work begins, you know, 2022 is coming up, which means the budget that they proposed is 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 about to take effect uh, fairly soon. We're going to have, you know, this IMF deal coming through and I get to understand more how, how it affects us in the short term and the medium term. Yeah, we're, you know, we're just going to see I guess the UPND's uh, mandate and and their policies uh, start to take effect, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, to see how that goes for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's that's all for me. That's all for me. Yeah. All I'm gonna say is I, you know, I wish them the best. Um, we'll continue supporting them by checks and balances because I think. You know, if we give checks and balances, we actually want them to succeed because if they succeed, we succeed. But by checks and balances, not by praise. So we wish them um, all the best, and and we and we and we wish and we also wish them growth. I mean, I feel like also at the end of the day, like if there's anyone, you know, by some miracle, if any of them listen to this episode, they should know that, you know. At the same time, they have an opportunity to grow and learn. And at the same time, they can benefit from that. So I think, you know, you know, saying saying this stuff doesn't mean, hey, keep your head down. Like this is an opportunity for us for us to see that you can grow and learn and change. And okay, why am I giving a pep talk to politicians? I think uh, I've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>